hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 125, so glad you could join me. Today's guest is Amanda Newell, the winner of our 2021 Rattle Chapbook Prize for her book, uh, I Will Pass Even to Asheron. She'll be joining us in about 15 minutes, but before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you love poetry too, so please do click the like button and share and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications wherever you're listening to this. There's something you can do to help spread the poetry around. That's all we ask of you. Like almost everything we do at Rattle, these Rattlecasts are free, but we do ask you to help spread it around, so please do that if you would. Now we're going to start out with Poets Respond Live, um, like we usually do. And we have two poets this week, so let's get right to it. Um, I'm going to start with Tuesday's poet. Um, Robert Hunter Jones has a poem, um, and he's in Vienna. So I wasn't sure if I could get in touch with him in time. And last week's poem was also about the coronavirus. So I figured that we would do um, The Frozen America first um, as, as a Sunday poem. But um, this is a really uh, a poem that's fitting for right now, too. This is New Year's Eve in Vienna. And let's uh, talk to Robert Hunter Jones right now. Um, hey, Robert, you are live on the air. How you doing? I'm doing well, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so glad you could join us all the way from uh, from Vienna, where you are. And I looked at your bio. I think I looked at your um, your website, um, w- which we uh, have a link to under the poem. And, uh, and you're from the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, so how did you end up in Vienna? Let me just ask you that first. Uh, that's a long story, but uh, <laughs> I came over here to teach uh, first in 85 at a little school over near Salzburg, and I just kind of kept coming back between uh, I was working for the National Park Service doing fire stuff and come over here in the winter to try to do some writing and uh, that eventually led to uh, a job at the American International School here in Vienna where I I taught for 27 years. Very just cool. retired in uh, 2019. Uh, yeah, it's very cool to see. It was an interesting jump in the bio there. And, and this poem, uh, New Year's Eve in Vienna, um, is, of course, about the pandemic and Omicron coming through. Do you want to just explain, uh, first of all, like just what the situation is like in there? How does it feel in, in Vienna right now? Well, uh, we had uh, a big spike in cases a little ahead of most of Europe and certainly ahead of the U.S., and that mm-hmm. was before the Omicron came through so it's pretty hot here right now but vienna is coming off of a hard lockdown and so now it's our caseload is a little bit down but we're expecting it to to trend up and uh yeah like everywhere else there are those who are not that thrilled um with the way the state is responding to the virus but mm-hmm. um i think you know it's a moving target and people are doing the best they can yeah, so, so why don't you introduce your poem a little bit. So, so what was the impetus for this poem? You explain it in the note, um, which people will see when they, when they read the poem on Tuesday. But do you want to set it up for us? Sure. Uh, well, I, my uh, son, our son, just came back from college in the Pacific Northwest a couple of weeks ago and uh, actually got his booster shot on the way home from the airport, and uh, we went off for skiing. And uh, with the the new variant, of course, we were all a little nervous about any kind of social interaction. But after we got home, he he went out and he uh, came back and found out from his friends that uh, one of the people at the party was positive. And then we just tested every day to see what would happen. And lo and behold, um, he came up uh, positive a few days ago. So that's what the poem speaks to. I, 
I guess, at a literal level. But, um, yeah, that's what prompted it. Yeah, and how's everybody doing now? Um, does anybody, you know, how are your symptoms and all that? Are, are you, it's only your son who's sick, right, at the moment? Yeah, light symptoms. Um, actually, my, we just really less than a minute ago got, the testing here is great, so you can test every day and mm-hmm. comes to your phone, and we just got um, news that the rest of us are still uh, negative. Um, and, you know, everybody wants to be positive except with the virus, so we're happy to be <laughs> negative on that. And uh, so, so far, so good. It's actually my daughter's uh, 18th birthday. And oh, wow, happy birthday her, yeah. Some friends mm-hmm. having uh, a celebration, pretty muted one, um, and that's just the way it is here these days. Um, but so far, so good. Yeah, well, it's an interesting time. I mean, it feels like, um, you know, after two years of waiting, this is, the, you know, the pandemic is coming home to a lot of people right now for the first time. So we're sort of, uh, I mean, everyone's going to get infected in the next month, pretty much, because this is so contagious. I don't think there's any way around it. Um, so it's, it's, I don't know, it's a strange time where, where everything's accelerating so rapidly. Um, but anyway, let's hear your poem, New Year's Eve in Vienna. Why don't you go ahead and read it for everybody? Sure. New Year's Eve in Vienna. In the waning days of the year, Omicron entered my son, who entered our home at 5 a.m. with his slightly bent key, quietly taking his tiny guest to bed with him, sleeping soundly until 2 p.m. I don't think it's love, greedy little microbe from a broken home. You have to feel sorry almost. You have to question the nature of friendship the value of social niceties, little bridges of desire riding the common exchanges of breath between words. Laughter in the small hours before dawn, a little forced, a little too loud. Now we wait. Who falls, who coughs up all the names of casual contacts, little parlor game of memory. In the meantime, strangers trundle by beyond the windows, their own little burdens in tow, Dirty snow crowning the curbstones. Yeah, beautiful metaphors and images in that poem. Just it's uh, like I was saying to you on the email. Um, you know, I, I keep thinking that that we're probably done with with coronavirus poems because, like, how much more can you say? We've probably published fifty of them over the last two years, um, but but this one finds a new way to think about how a virus moves through a population. It, it's really interesting, um, you know, symbolism here and and great great visuals too. Thanks for sharing that, Robert. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, stay healthy and uh, hope you have a, a good uh, happy birthday to your daughter. All the best to you as well. Yep, take care. Bye. Thanks again. Bye. Yeah, that was uh, Robert Hunter Jones with New Year's Eve in Vienna, the Tuesday poem that we'll be have coming up. And you can find more of uh, Robert's work at Robert Hunter Jones. That's all just like you'd, you'd think, roberthunterjones.com. Um, and look for that poem as the Tuesday poem in your inbox. If you um, aren't subscribed yet to Rattle, um, getting the daily poem, anybody, you can go to the Rattle's website. Somebody emailed me late last night and mentioned that um, um, that it's hard to find the sign-up. So I moved it right here in the footer, too. It's, it's other places, but now it's here, too. So if you want to get the daily poem in your inbox, go to uh, rattle.com and just go down to the bottom and sign, sign yourself up there. And uh, we're back up to 7,324 on newsletters or email subscribers. We had about 10,000, and then Google canceled their service we were using. And uh, we're back up to 7,000. So that's good that people actually care about poetry. And those are all people who have signed up in the last six months. So it's really cool to see. Thanks, everybody, for that. 
And now let's move on to our second poem, which is actually today's poem, Frozen America. We're going to call up, um, you know, Robert has ties to the Pacific Northwest. And here is a poet in the Pacific Northwest, Zinnia Hansen. Let's call her up right now and talk about her poem. Okay, much better. So, so Zinnia, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the line uh, sharing and talking about this poem that you wrote, Frozen America. Um, to start out, do you want to introduce um, just how the poem came to be, which you explain in your note, of course, but, but let everybody who's just listening know. Yeah, so I was at my grandma's. Um, we had gone over there for Christmas, um, and we got snowed in, um, and we were stuck for about four days. I wrote that this poem towards the beginning of those four days. Um, but it hardly ever snows in the Pacific Northwest where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always a kind of a special treat when it does, but because of climate change, just like any unusual weather patterns freak me out and I get a little depressed. Um, and so I had also gotten, um, a copy of best American poetry 2021 in my stocking. So that was what, uh, that was referenced to, um, but yeah, I was, I don't know, I was reading a lot of poetry and feeling it move through me and just kind of, I don't know, my grandma's house is a very poetic place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really beautiful and it's just kind of been built up um, and it's full of artwork and things. So yeah, that was the... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's really cool to hear you, you know, talk about the poetry flowing through because that's what I loved about this poem with the leaps that you took um, in sort of surprising places and these cool images that just popped out of nowhere. Um, I, I don't know, do, and, and it's in a, in a prose poem style. Do you usually write prose poems or, or is it something that's different a little bit? I started writing poetry last year. Oh, really? Um, wow. And I was always I always wrote prose poetry. Like that was really the only form that I wrote. Um, but recently I've been trying to kind of use how the poem looks on the page to contribute to its meaning more. But Mm -hmm. this one, it just felt, I don't know, it kind of, yeah, the flow made sense as a prose poem. Um, So yeah, it was fun to reconnect with that form. Yeah. Well, it's beautifully done. Let's hear it. Why don't you go ahead and read it for everybody? Frozen America. I imagine my brand new copy of the best, American Poetry 2021, lying silent after the apocalypse. I'd like to remain conservative a little longer. Save seed for winter, watch it sprout in the spring. I break bread by myself, sitting on the floor, hunched over by the fire like God's last cat, watching it snow. I'm hoping another ice age will give us room to thaw again. Our Christmas tree this year was 13 feet tall. I was just grateful that I couldn't reach the top. Sometimes I want God to step out from the center of the sun, but other times I want him to stay there. Pinned, the tallest branch stuffed up his ass. This winter, I've noticed how the sky grows blue every young night, how it's growing, inching that much closer to everything. I'm thinking about how close blue is to orange. I'm thinking about how the snow hasn't stopped falling, about how I want to make a perfume out of all our empty orange peels, about how the mountains will melt into mud. On the unfinished walls of the century-old warehouse, my grandparents turned into a home or portrait of the salmon they caught. More than alive, the fish tread water in their frames, open mouths, a gateway to heaven. Glorious iconography. A paintbrush, a pen, a knife. As I walk through the storm, I look back and see the windows tinted red with light. Holy the flags are flying, flopping like dying fish as they learn how to breathe. 
who is going to cut a hole in the horizon and let out the frozen smoke. Yeah, that was Zinnia Hansen with Frozen America. Sorry, I was on mute for a second. But um, but yeah, so I was just saying that the poem really touches on um, something that I find, I think, really important that people don't discuss enough, which is all the anxiety and stress that climate change um, produces in addition to the actual environmental damage itself. And so um, it's really great to have this poem and this perspective. So thanks for sharing this, Zinnia. Thank you so much. Yeah, and uh, we're going to have to go to our main guest, but, but it's been great talking to you, and I will uh, see you later. Later. Bye. Bye. It was Zinnia Hansen with Frozen America, and uh, now I got to jump over. Put up, put up some uh, some music here, and uh, we'll be right back with today's main guest, Amanda Newell. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. As I mentioned, today's guest is 2021 Rattle Poetry Prize winner Amanda Newell. Or Rattle Chepik Prize winner, I should say. Amanda Newell won the Rattle Chepik Prize for I Will Pass Even to Asheron, which is the, the chapbook that everybody received with her winter issue of Rattle. Um, she, her poetry has also appeared in Bellevue, Literary Review, Gargoyle Plume, Scoundrel Time, and elsewhere. A graduate of Warren Wilson's MFA program, she has received scholarships from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Frost Place, and a fellowship from the Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. Her first full-length collection is coming out, too, Postmortem Say. Um, it's forthcoming in 2023 from Chervena, Barva Press, and uh, here she is, Amanda Newell. It's so great to uh, to talk to you, Amanda. After you know working through with the chapbook and, and everything else, it's just great to see you. First of all, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for um, having me on your Rattlecast today. It's such a fabulous series, and I'm I'm delighted and honored to be here with you. So thank you very much. Yeah, well, it's an honor to have you. Uh, do you want to start out with a poem to get the get the ball rolling on on what we're going to be talking about today? Sure. I'll start out with the uh, with the first poem in, in the chapbook, which I think kind of sets the stage for the rest of the poems that come. It's called For Adam, My Student, and Walter Reed. Take one, says the sticky by the AFG decals, but I don't, although I want to, because really, I have no claim to sacrifice, no stump swinging like a wind-wild bell, no appled fist, no marbled skin. Quite possibly, I'm imposing, no better than a driver slowing at the scene to count the bodies, the jellied patches of blood. Quite possibly, I mean to stand unblinking in the face of another's, your exquisite pain. I am wife, mother, sister, daughter of no one here. Whitman rushed towards the wounded, wrote how they piled around him, a heap of amputated feet, legs, arms, hands, mass casualties, and his longing, grief, a hunger that must be filled. These are not like other hospitals, he wrote, as with the homeless woman whose terrible cry peals in the street, God, please, someone give me something to eat. I run towards, I keep my hands open. And that was the opening poem um, for Adam, my student in Walter Reed. And um, 
the the thing about this this book, which when we when we received it as you know we were reading the manuscripts for the Chubbuck Prize, I mean it just it was one of those books that was just so sort of polished and complete, and um, it just it just felt like a, like it was done already, you know, like it was I was reading a book in my hand rather than just a manuscript, which is always a interesting feeling, um, and uh, I don't know, it'd be interesting to to know just more about the history of, of your relationship with Adam, though. It sort of jumps in halfway through a little bit, like where, where everything's already happened. Um, can you explain, like, set this, like, frame it a little bit of, of how you came to know Adam and, um, and how this chapel came to be? Sure. And, and I guess the first thing that I would say right off the bat is that, uh, well, first of all, thank you for, um, you know, thank you for the, your comments about the, the chapbook itself. And it was a long time in the making and um, went through actually many different iterations um, and was a runner up in several other contests, never quite um, the winner. And so I, I, until rattle. And um, I I think that um, I needed some more time to work on the poems, but I just wanted to, um, you know, to fully realize them and also wanted to say that it, you know, it was, a very long process and like most poets um, filled with rejection. Um, as far as my um, my relationship with Adam, so I, I taught at a small private school on the Eastern shore of Maryland for about 15 years. Adam was one of my students there and he was ac- actually the nephew of um, one of my uh, colleagues there in the humanities department. Um, and so, um, we were as a small school where we were, I think, very understandably, we were all very, um, as is typical, pretty close to our students. So um, Adam was no different. And um, one of the things that struck me about him as um, as my student, he was um, I taught him as a senior. He was determined that he wanted to enlist after graduation and um he, which he did. And, uh, so he went to, uh, he went to boot camp out at 29 Palms and then was after he finished that was pretty summarily uh, deployed to Afghanistan. And so, and, and throughout his time as a student, he was always really, he loved literature. He, um, uh, he, and just loved reading and just absorbed it all and was a fantastic student. And, he did his senior thesis on um, the literature of war, primarily around World War World War One. So he was definitely fascinated with it, and I think like the whole mythology of of war. Um, he was a Latin student as well. So uh, one day he actually came and asked me for a recommendation, and um, that's actually that's another poem that's in the book about that that day. Uh, and I think what I'm getting to is that. Um, you know, I, I started thinking about uh, what is really, you know, my responsibility, you know, as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what, for Adam, my student, and, and Walter Reed, and not just my responsibility, but I think by extension, our collective responsibility. When someone says, yeah, I want to go off to war, will you write me a recommendation so I can get in to X place or Y place? You know, as a teacher, you want to support your students, of course, but it was... Um, you know, after he was deployed and then hurt and nearly died, he had a command controlled IED um, explode under his foot while he was driving a MATV. Um, so that really started me kind of thinking about the responsibility and like, wow, um, 
you know, this is something I need to kind of interrogate and investigate a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's an interesting book um, in that it, it talks about a real person. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of, in most cases, you're, you're always talking about um, how poetry, um, you know, it, it's a truth that's it's bigger than facts or something like that is, is how I sort of explain it to people. But but poetry, you know, usually there, people are sort of archetypal characters that are drawn from the, the reality of the world and, and mixed together and composited. Um, and this this, though, um, is is about Adam, you know, Adam is the, the subject, um, and in Adam's here by name. And did, did you have any reservations about, about, you know, having Adam involved so, so sort of directly and, and openly in the book? And, and, and what does Adam and his family think about it? That's an excellent question. And it's one that I asked myself throughout the entire process. And I think part of that um, the interrogation is, is um, you know, when I say I'm wife, mother, sister, daughter of no one here, it's kind of asking that very question, um, what right do I have? You know, this is not my trauma. So I think it's, it, it, it is really hard to write about other people's trauma. And um, so I think that that part of the exploration in the chapbook is trying to understand why. Um I was so interested in it, and I think that that gets back to what I mentioned earlier about feeling some responsibility um, for, uh, um, in some way, for uh, what happened. Um, and, and of course, that's not like actually true in a literal sense, but I mean more sort of collectively, you know, uh, how we all sort of contribute, I think, to the the mythos of of war and and how. Uh, maybe sometimes without thinking through how we're buying into that, in, into the narrative. So it forced me to ask some of those questions. As far as my relationship with Adam goes, um, he was aware um, throughout, and his family was aware of of the poems, and and I shared that with them throughout the process. So um, I felt, you know, I think had they objected, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Um, how if the po if, if you would be seeing the poems as they are um i i think that's it's uh, you know as writers it's that's just it's it is such a hard line to mm -hmm. um um to to balance but i think the the bottom line is that there has to be some self-interrogation there yeah for the writer Mm -hmm. Well, as um, as Bronwyn um, Rhiannon Drew says here, it is your trauma and also the rest of ours. I mean, it's something that we all participate in being in this culture, um, and you know that just that we've been at war my entire life. Um, <laughs> you know, it never ends. And even now, right. I think I saw there's some meme going around that this is like the first Christmas or something that we haven't been at war because we finally left Afghanistan. But but that's just all you know semantics or something because we're all over the you know military bases everywhere and drone strikes everywhere. It doesn't really matter um, whether or not we're sort of officially someplace. We're all participating and paying for this and, and not, you know, protesting out in the streets every day um, and, and, you know, and benefiting from it, too. So we're all, you know, we're benefiting economically. You know, it's, it's, it's just the fact of reality. And um, I don't know. So it's, it's such a, a, a big, complicated topic. And I'm so glad you try to tackle it here. Um, and and this is actually the the cover too. I should mention is Adam himself. This is a photograph you took, um, plus a painting yes. um, by Nancy Mitchell. So we we sort of uh, collage them together. But um, but this is actually Adam. Um, put it on screen. Yeah, this is the this is actually Adam here. Um, 
And um, um, has he, did he, did he read the poems um, as you were writing them sort of gradually, or did he sort of see the book for the first time as one thing um, when it came out? So, um, he saw many of the poems that were published. Um, I and um, I'm getting ready to ship off a whole pile of books for him and and his family. So I'm not sure he hasn't seen the um, the full collection um, yet, but he is certainly familiar with most of the most of the poems in there. So i'm I'm excited for him to to have it mm-hmm. and um, and for his family to have it as well. yeah, well, let's uh, let's hear another poem. What do you want to read? Uh, sure. Next? Maybe in retrospect, he could have come home. So this was um, this maybe is a little bit more of a window into the classroom and what it was like. And this and actually talk about like what's what's true, um, that it, it is true in here that he did envision hell this way. So in retrospect, he could have come home in a flag draped coffin, could have been comatose or burned beyond recognition Sure, they do a good job reconstructing him, but even the best job could only approximate who he'd been before, but would never be again, although traces of the old Adam would still be there, like a palimpsest, almost, but not entirely erased. In retrospect, he'd been lucky. He came back in one piece, mostly, except for his foot, which refuses to stay and refuses to go clinging to him like a film of dust. He still looks like himself, only thinner. In time, he'll be able to have the dark chocolate, the driving leg, the yellow hatchback. But now he's dreaming himself out of time. Who knows where he's gone? Back to 29 Palms or his Matt V. Or maybe back to English class. After we read No Exit, I asked my students to imagine their own hell. And in Adam's version, the clock in his head is always ticking. No one can see or hear him. Yeah. And that was um, uh, recommendations from the chapbook. And I'm thinking, um, you know, since the, ch- the chapbook is so, so um, you know, concise on topic, maybe we should read a few poems in a row. Um, do you want to read like maybe two more? And then, and then we'll talk more about, you know, because I want to ask you about like your life and poetry and stuff, but it's sort of strange to jump back and forth between this topic. So let's, let's do two more poems. Sure. Um, what about the last two? Sure, that'd um, be great, yeah. Kind of picking up from um, where he was at Walter Reed and then um, and, uh, finishing up with the, um, the title poem. Adam drives his focus, a yellow-orange turbocharged hatchback with black leather bucket seats, 19-inch rims and a stick shift. Tangerines scream, a color I'd call ugly if he hadn't said he liked it because you can't miss him. The wounded warrior cars, some red Mustangs and Camaros, matte black pickups with tinted windows, are kept in America garage, where my student unscrews from his left stump his walking leg, sets it by the front wheel, then screws on his driving leg. Creeping along the perimeter since he's not ready to go off base, we cruise past a legless vet in the sun, strapped like so much luggage to a stretcher, past amputee patrolmen on segways, past grazing fawns. That was Adam Drives His Focus. And then, then we'll read the title poem too, but before you do, can you explain a little bit about, um, about Acheron? 
um, you know, I, I've mentioned on this podcast and, and other things many times yeah. that I'm terrible with mythology. I cannot keep anything straight. Um, I, I, you know, I looked up when we got the chapbook, which I always do. I always like Wikipedia stuff when it's like references to mythology. And, um, and, and I still, even though I read about it, I probably five times I've looked up Acheron. I can't even remember. So what, tell us what Acheron is and, and how that relates to the book. Okay, I had to uh, I had to make sure and li- listen to some pronunciations because I actually have a hard time pronouncing where um, the the epic that this is, that the title is taken from. But it's actually by it's from Nonos's Dionysiaca, which is um, a fifth century epic um, by Nonos about the god Dionysus, sort of recounting all of his adventures, and so. So the title poem, the, the the title of the book is actually taken from that. You know, I will pass even to Asheron, the river of pain of my own free will and with rapture even. So um, the while well, the book is titled, I will pass even to Asheron, you know, you get to the end to get the rest of that um, sentence. So that's where um, that's where it's it's from that epic tale of Dionysus. So I will pass even to Asheron, the river of pain of my own free will and with rapture even. He's signing papers next week. Next week in Coronado, another student, gamer kid who hated school, smoked black and milds, fought town kids with glass bottles. He could already be a Marine. He's got biceps now, a crew cut. Says he's going to let loose. He's going to kill. He's going to go to the worst place on earth. He's going to fuck some shit up. But first, he's going to run 10 miles, put his fins on, swim from Sandy Point to the moored barge. He'll dive deeper and deeper into the dark murk until he finds it, the anchor. And when he does, he'll tie a red ribbon around its stem. And that was the title poem. I will pass even to Asheron, the river of pain of my own free will and with rapture even. Um, It's just such a, a tight um, a tight book around a, a theme, um, you know, so skillfully done and so condensed. I mean, a few people mentioned it's the shortest chapbook we've done, I think. Um, and is it, it? Oh, wow. It is, yeah. I mean, you know, they're all about the same length, but, it, but it's a few pages yeah. shorter than, it's, you know, it's 32. And, um, and it's a quick read and, and an intense, uh, powerful read. Can you talk a little bit about how the chapbook came together? Like how you, you mentioned already that you'd submitted it to many contests and, and, and it took some time um, organizing it as a manuscript. Um, how much... You know, what kind of changes? Is there any advice you can give to people? We have the Rattle Chapbook Prize coming up again. Um, the deadline is just, uh, what is it, 13 days away. And um, so people are sort of polishing up their manuscripts right now. Um, so can you explain a little bit about how you sort of decided to condense this book into into the shape that it became? Because it's sort of like a, it's like a diamond of a book, really, it is. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it, was, it, it, it wasn't easy. And actually, um, it... Um, began as um, as a full length collection. I had other poems in there related that that, that ended up becoming um, uh, the my next actual full length manuscript post mortem say. So I realized in, in thinking about it, you know, um, in submitting to the contest and getting you know po- so much positive feedback that I thought, yeah, because it's it's such a. I guess I was having trouble tying in the atom thread with the other poems, which were sort of all loosely connected by this general broader theme of, of violence. Um, but I realized as I kept writing towards uh, and, and more poems in 
my other manuscript that I guess I began to see that I, I really that the Adam poems needed to be pulled out. And I had to set it, I also had to set it aside for mm-hmm. a while and just kind of let it, you know, for some time, for some months and just let it kind of sit um, as I processed. But I think just um, realizing that, no, this this is, it's, it's there, it is its own universe. Um, and 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 that's, I think, what was the, the breakthrough for me. Um, I'm someone who, you know, even in my, writing um i I will i I, you know i have no problem changing things and changing things radically um you you know so many of these poems existed in in initial drafts in much much different forms so um i'm not i don't really consider myself a fast writer either so it Mm -hmm. it does take me some time but i i guess i'm i guess i would say not to not be um, afraid of radical revision because the beautiful the beauty of computers right is that we we can keep everything and mm-hmm. and we have a record so you can always go back but um but definitely as i wrote more it became clearer to me that no they needed they were really kind of separating themselves out from my other manuscript and that's when that breakthrough happened um yeah can you talk a little bit about the form so i'm um, dick westheimer here asks um if you could talk about the form of the last poem which um you know moves around the page everybody saw it on, on screen uh, it's right here um but mm-hmm. but other poems too in the book they, they it's a book that takes many different shapes as you move through the poems in an interesting way because they feel it, it doesn't feel like um it doesn't fit you know it, it feels um since the theme connects together so well maybe um the fact that it's moving through different lengths of poems and different shapes of poems um you know, feels very, it, it, it's something you almost like half notice or something. Um, so how did the form of this poem come to be? And, um, can you talk about like why you chose it? Sure. Um, uh, I would say generally that what you're, um, what you're also noticing with some of the poems is probably my inclination to try different line lengths. I'm always, I think when I sit down to write, I don't, I, I don't necessarily have, you know, there's a difference I think between, being able to write an initial draft of a poem in short, maybe cu- tight couplets, um, but then the and the final draft might be something completely different. So there, I guess what I'm saying is there's a difference between actually getting something, what it takes to get something on the page, but that's where like actually a lot of the, the sort of more radical revisions would occur was in the shape of the poems themselves, the longer lines, just trying to find my lines. And so um, with this particular poem, I, you know, I was thinking a lot about water. Um, so, um, I live in the Annapolis area and have been on the Eastern shore, um, for most of my adult life. So surrounded by the Chesapeake Bay and, um, and so that, that I think, and so tying back to the idea of the river of pain and, and, and I think so, so this poem was more, um, more intuitive, I, I think to me, um, and felt like, um, I, I, I guess the, the student that I'm speaking of and that the speaker is speaking of in this in this poem is um is also i think groping to and kind of looking for something so um and maybe not able to find it Hmm. you know so i think that that's kind of what i was thinking subconsciously probably yeah and a lot of the poems are are very short in the book um you know there's that one very tiny poem the um um the third grader's note 
to Adam posted on the wall of room 438, Walter Reed, which was that, I'm wondering if the shorter poems, because you mentioned radical revision, were these much longer? I mean, you know, was a poem like that or a poem um, like um, Stoic, for example, um, were, were those poems, you know, sort of longer and did a whole lot more and then he cut them back into this, in this very small form or, or were they sort of always that small? Stoic actually was sort of in, in, in the form that, it, it, that was one of the rare occasions where it was in, in in the generally in the form that you see it. The third graders note to Adam that's posted on the wall um, of room 438 East Walter Reed is just simply a found poem. Mm-hmm. And I always um, I always really love that, you know, the the sort of the the irony there. Right. You know, I'm dear Adam, I'm sorry you ran over a mind. They're well hidden. And the third grader forgets the the you know forgets that that d is is elided in the note it's a third grader but it was just so um i i'm just really glad that i was able to incorporate that um in here mm-hmm. so. Uh, so so let's talk a little about more about your um you know the way you came to poetry how long have you been a poet like what do you remember the 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 first time you sort of thought of yourself as a poet or, or the first poem you wrote um how did how did your you come to be um an author so i can actually um that that would be thanks to my 11th grade english teacher mm-hmm. kathy gainer <laughs> and when we had to um we were doing a poetry unit and we had to um, choose a poet write a you know do this write a paper blah 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 and um, a poet that I just immediately fell in love with was Anne Sexton. So she was really um, just an immediate touch point for me, and um, and still and still is. Um, so that's the, really the first time. Uh, oh my gosh, I can I I can remember listening to um, a cassette tape. Anybody remember those um, of of her of her reading um, "Ringing the Bells"? And I just was so it was such a fabulous. I get chills as I think of it because it was just such a haunting reading. So I, that's really I think when I first fell in love with poetry and started writing it. I don't think I really self-identified as a poet until um actually after quite a bit after college um i you know i took creative writing i was a journalist there i thought of myself primarily as nonfiction, a fiction writer but it wasn't until um my ex-husband and i lost our first child halfway through my pregnancy mm-hmm. I, my first pregnancy that um, I started writing and what I was writing and I was working full time still kind of came out. Um, I think it lent itself to poetry a little bit more, you know, so I think some of that personal trauma um, definitely um, it sort of enacted something in me. And um, and I just started writing and um, um, and started taking craft um, lessons actually from, um, the first, my first poetry teacher, um, is Sue Ellen Thompson mm-hmm. and, um, who's a fabulous poet and, um, she lived near me and, um, I actually connected with her through, um, the high school that I was, um, where I was teaching. So, um, she's like, Oh, well, maybe you should apply to, to Breadloaf. I'm like, Breadloaf, what, what's that? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, but that that's really so it wasn't until um I, I came back to poetry, I think later in, in my life and just really fell in love with it. And I'm like, wow, this is really that this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's sort of more recently then. 
Um, did, did you notice any, since you can sort of look back at what you were writing um, when you picked up poetry again versus now, do you see like a progression over the last however many years it's been since you sort of picked it up seriously? Yeah, I, I think I have... Um... I think I'm a smarter um, reader of poetry. And part of that is just that just comes, I think, with this, like, as you apprentice any craft, um, you do, you, be, you, you acquire more um, knowledge. And, um, and, and I do think that writing is something that you do have to kind of apprentice like a, like a craft. I know that MFA school isn't necessarily for, for everyone. Um, but for me, I love being in the classroom. Um, I love that environment. It really, um, um, it, it was where I, it was really where I needed to be. Um, I think I've probably learned that, um, it, it is still true that probably my, my main tendency in, in writing, um, and it, it is to tend more toward the narrative strain, um, so, you know, I, um, I think I'm maybe more conscious about that now than maybe I was in, in the beginning. And, you know, so I, you know, in the revision process, um, when, with feedback from my peers, I think a lot about, okay, um, you know, where, where and how am I telling, am I telling too much, you know, where do I dial it back? You know, do I want to, you know, where's the lyric coming in here? Where's the, the meditative? So, um, but that comes so much later, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, well, well your next, uh, your forthcoming book, which is, it's going to be a wait still, it's still a, a whole year plus away is, um, postmortem say, um, postmortem say is the title, right? Yeah. Yes. And, um, can you explain a little bit about that, about what, what the, the subject matter is and how it differs? You mentioned a little bit about that the, the topic is violence a little bit, but that it wasn't related as much to the Adam story, that you wanted to pull it out as a separate chapbook. So so how is, um, you know, what what are the themes about the, the forthcoming book, the full length? So um, I was thinking a lot about this before the um, the call. And since, you know, you and I had talked uh, yesterday to, you know, run through the the sound test and, and, and all of that. Uh, make sure we had our tech in uh, in in gear. Um, I realized that um, I think for a while I've been perhaps not wanting to claim or to claim it or say what the manuscript is mm -hmm. really about, and so I'm going to do that now. And and I'm just going to say that I, I I think that it is the the story of it's the story of a marriage that is falling apart that is um, that's broken and the different kinds of violences that we inflict on each other, on ourselves. Um, and also, um, from some unex that come from some unexpected places. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, do you want to, do you want to read a poem, um, to sort of you know, start that a little bit? I think we have the title sure. poem here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let me turn to it. Postmortem say, could say crimson limbs and blood moon glass shatter. Say was chrome smoke. Say the night diamond flecked. Say the cause was exsanguination due to blunt force trauma from a wreck. Say too many contributing factors to list. Or say the truth 
which is to say, it was dark. We never saw each other. Say by the time we did, it was already too late. Say the loss total. Yeah, that was that was postmortem. Say the title poem um, from um, Amanda's forthcoming manuscript. Um, I don't know. I I, re- I read really quickly because I just got the the manuscript yesterday. Um, but last night I read through, and um, it, it's a similar feel in the way that it's so tight and so atmospheric. Um, you know, it feels just so polished, like both of these two manuscripts do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you talk about the way a, a poem comes to be? Like like a poem like Postmortem Say, which is such an interesting title, which became the title of the whole chap or the whole manuscript. Um, it's 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 very strange and memorable just the way you put that. Um so how did how did that come to be and, and how does a poem come to be? So how did that partic- the particular poem yeah, postmortem yeah. say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, you know for for this I think for this particular poem um you know I had this is an example of where I had a, another poem and it was actually, it, it, it was in its earlier iterations, it was kind of spread out on the page. And in the same way that I will pass even to Asheron, um, the last, um, the last poem was that we were just talking about. And so, um, so here, I think that there were some of the language um, and, and imagery and, and the sounds in here um, maybe get to your point about being kind of atmospheric. And I, and so I think that there's the, the, the repetition for me, um, the lexical repetition is kind of what I think holds this particular poem together and is probably really what it needs. Um, I mean, I think it's a little, you know, there's, um, kind of an, maybe I hope, um, an enchant, sort of an enchanting or chanting quality, mm-hmm. um, about it. Um, and so I think that it, it ca- it definitely captures some of the various moods that are that we see throughout the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a great great way to start the the book. Um, how long ago did you finish? You know, it's it's um, a few years out where it's going to be published. How long ago did you finish the the manuscript? So about. Um, a year ago. Mm-hmm. And um, although um, you already know that with my tendency to revise, I'm, you know, I look, I had opened it up for the first time in a while um, last night, which was really interesting because um, I, um, I, I read the poems or I read them so differently um, now. And um, in, and in part, that's just because of um some events that have happened um, over the course of the last five months, um, which I, I know you're aware about, but my ex-husband, who was a prosecutor and a and a circuit court judge on the on the eastern shore, um, committed suicide in in September as the FBI went to um, arrest him um, for basically um, sexual exploitation of a, of a minor child. And this was um, a complete surprise to all of us, you know, his entire family, um, everyone. And so, um, you know, when I go back and, and, and look at these poems now, um, they're kind of eerily prescient in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess I sort of lost track of your, um, <laughs> I lost track of your question, but that, but, but they're definitely, um, you know, there's, um, 
I think throughout the manuscript, you, you see some of these sort of external threats of violence by virtue of, of his job as a prosecutor and mm-hmm. a judge. You know, we did have um, threats of violence against the family. And so, um, you know, it's kind of looking back on some of this and thinking, wow, I never really thought about the threat being kind of, you know, internal in the way that it that it was. Yeah. So um, so just so everyone understands that you were divorced about a year or year and a half ago or so. Is that or two years ago? Um, it would have been um, we weren't even divorced a, a year. It was October of 2020. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and we were co-parenting and, you know, did maintain um you know, a, a very, a positive relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, up. so this, this all happened over the summer. So, so we, you know, yeah. we, as we were putting the chapbook together, yes. I will pass even yes. Nasher on. I mean, I'm, I mean, honestly, I, I'm sort of surprised that you made it, you know, given all that was going on that we still, and, and you mentioned that it was a good distraction. And I kept saying, like thinking to myself, like, I hope it is a good distraction because it's such, I mean, I can't imagine what you've been going through for the last six months, like out of nowhere. I mean, in the middle of, you know, the pandemic, which is something that we're all dealing with, then all of a sudden you're hit with this like sledgehammer of, of what happened that you had no idea yeah. was going on. You'd already um, been divorced. And um, I don't know. It's just, uh, how did you sort of, get, have you gotten through the last six months? I think uh, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I have a great answer. I mean, it's, it's other than, um, it, you know, you, I mean, I, first and foremost, I think of our boys and, and making sure that they're, you know, that they, and that they're protected, um, that I'm protected, um, and, and safe, you know, we, we did move back in with my parents and, um, um, so it's been helpful to have family around. And I think everyone's been really, um, from Jonathan's side of the family, our side of the family, everyone has pulled together and is on the same page in terms of, you know, you, 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 you know, they're, they're not, we're all victims here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, um, I, I, um, and I do think about the victims a lot. Um, and, um, it's just, it's just really complicated. There's definitely a lot to work through and sort through. I have been writing some, um, but really it's just a matter of, um, you know, it's like, what other choice do you have? There yeah. is no other choice. There mm-hmm. is no other choice than to than to move on. So, and... yeah, yeah. I mean, the the whole the whole aspect of of how much trauma plays into poetry, um, you know, in a way, like like the in the interview that just happened to be um, with this issue with uh, James Pennebaker that that just came out, talking about how um, important poetry is for healing trauma because the the big the thing that he discovered through his his research is that it was the traumas that we don't share that caused the most psychic damage over time and, and health damage too. And so, you know, in a way, you know, just by sort of that, that's a knowledge of our own mortality, even um, humans are like the only creatures in the known universe that f- experience trauma in this, this psychological way. And that, um, and, and in a way that we're all traumatized by something like life is traumatic for human beings. I mean, we're naked. The, the whole Eden myths are all about how we're naked and, you know, we need, protection from from reality and um so i don't know do you think like how can you talk a little bit about, about like the, that act of healing through writing like do you feel that do you feel that it brings things together and and, and helps heal through these difficult times well like my one of my mentors um the poet alan shapiro likes to say um i i it doesn't certainly writing doesn't 
actually solve the problem. You know, that's, it's true that it, it doesn't solve the problem, but I do believe that it can make, there is a transformative quality um, about it um, and, and processing it however you do on, on the page, um, through art, through music, um, creatively. I do think that it is a transformative um, process. And I do think that that, I, I do think that that helps. I do think that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, also having a really good therapist helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people have talked to, you know, poetry is not therapy and, and it's, it's not. And then, you know, in the same time, it kind of is in a way, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're different things. And, and um, let's hear another poem um, from the, from the manuscript. Sure. Um, I think I'll read Portent, and um, this will be, I think, coming out in the in Cimarron Review um, shortly. And a little bit of an insight into what it could be like, I think, um, you know, living in the, the sort of um, what I would call hyper-masculine um, environment um, on the Eastern Shore with guns and hunting and, um, and law enforcement. Portent. He'd gone again, dressed in camo and a bulletproof vest, sig at his hip. Gone, despite her constant nagging, the why go if you don't have to, and what if something happens, please? But where else the exhilaration? With their boys, three and one, who never slept? With his depressed, distant wife, who left piles of laundry, never cooked, cleaned, or gardened, who cut her eyes at him, his heavy foot, the shaking floor. Still, he always came home, no different tonight, but for the sudden summer squall. His pickups struck by lightning as he pulled into the drive, nearly burned alive while she lay safe inside, and later swore she had never heard him, his fists on the door. And that was a portent, which is an interesting poem, too. I mean, you know, this book is the whole book is sort of a portent of, of all that would eventually happen. It's really strange yeah. almost to read <laughs> yeah. it, you know, knowing that it was written before all of this happened. And then, um, I mean, in reading it through that lens. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. How do you I mean, I don't know. The, the one fascinating thing about poetry that I've always found is that it, it's sort of this access into the subconscious that we don't really have access to because we know a lot of the stuff that's going on, but we don't have a way of acknowledging it or something like that. Um, and so a poem like Portent, do you, did you feel like a po- poetry is a portent, you know, that it that it brings out things that we don't know we know? Or can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, if when you say that, the first thing that, that I think of is like, you know, um, duende right mm-hmm. um and um and also that kind of um the the more um dionysian or or chaotic that is you know i think within us and kind of balanced out by um what ellen bryant Voigt would call the 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 i can never say this the apollinian um apollo right so it's sort of like the the measure and balance and counterbalanced with that sort of dionysian undercurrent so I think, um, you know, kind of looking over um, some of these poems um, after having not for a while and in light of what's happened, I, I think, wow, they really, um, they they knew something that I didn't, right? Um, and I think it's kind of too simple to say that 
um, or it would be easy to say, wow, you know, you think you know someone, but you don't really know. And, and to an extent that that's true. And, and I think that's um, uh, from, I, I think that that's where you begin to see the, um, the impact of trauma and sort of the, the, that's the profoundly sad and disappointing part of it for me is to see how that played out through history and kind of came full circle um, with Jonathan, who was wrestling with his own um, traumas that he never shared. Um, and so I think it's been a real, and again, I'm not sure if this is really answering your question, but I think it, it's been, um, cause like, I, I feel like I, I, I just, I have so many questions and I have, um, no answers, but it's been more of an exercise in negative capability, right. Mm -hmm. To say, okay, you know, he is, or we are all, um, you know, we're all, none of us is just one thing, right? We are this and we are this too. And so that's kind of how, um, that's the best way that I've been able to kind of reconcile um, this particular trauma so mm -hmm. far. Yeah. Well, let's hear another poem. Sure. Have any preference? I'm sort of I'm debating between um, a couple. I don't know whichever you you want to read. Okay. Um, so this is this is more about um, actually a poem about my son and um, mixed feelings that I, I think I have as as a mother um, and and being kind of surrounded again in that the the gun culture of the shore. The day after the latest mass shooting, he's ready to blow up his calc book at, at the firing range, my student. I almost laugh. I need to go shoot something. I need to go shoot something. It's funny, right? Hundreds of pages of equations, petal fluttering through the powder-singed air. Perhaps this is what happens after 20 years of living on the shore. You become accustomed. Shotguns, puffy camo, straight pipe trucks, Confederate-themed everything, crab stickers, license plates, tattered flags on the front lawns of foreclosed homes. When our son was born, my husband dressed him in a camo onesie. I was still on the table, bleeding where they cut and stapled me. What was it the therapist said to my son about processing anger? Punch a pillow. Take a walk. Always let your parents know where you're going. My son, who would never, who clung to my leg as a toddler, who wrote a poem at 10 called The Front Yard Cardinal. Now he prefers shooting blackbirds and keeps his bedroom door closed while he's killing virtual enemies. My son who says he wants an AR-15 when he turns 18. Who knows whether he's joking. And that was the day after the last mass shooting from Amanda's forthcoming book. And it, it was a surprise to me um, to think of um, Maryland as an area that's like that. Um, you know, so, so 
you know, where the, where the gun culture is large. Um, and I live in a similar area too. I'm not too far from Los Angeles, but we are very, you know, there's military base right next to us down the, the hill. And um, mm-hmm. there is that sort of, you know, I remember when we were looking at houses here, um, probably two out of three had a gun case, like in the, you know, somewhere in the house. Um, and so think of how many guns are in this town. There's probably more guns than people where I am right now, for sure. Um, and, I don't know. I mean, in a way, it ties into I will pass even to Asheron because it always it seems to me that the reason why we have gun culture is so people will join the army. It feels like that is just the setup for it. You know, we have the you know, I mean, right now is um, kickoff for, you know, 12 NFL football games. And for a lot of them, they'll have the, you know, army color guard coming out and a flyover showing how great the uh, military is as a recruiting tool, which the military pays big dollars for. And we have all the first person shooter games, which is a platform developed by the military. Um, and now all the games are like this first person shooter side, which is a platform mm-hmm. that was designed to train soldiers. And then we put it out in, cur- you know, so the whole thing is designed you know, there's this war culture underneath the surface of everything we do. And, yes. um, and that comes out in a lot of these poems too. Um, but can you talk a little bit about that, about how, you know, guns, even it seems like guns come into your life where you don't want them to, and you can't help it. <laughs> yes. Um, that, that's so true. And actually I did, um, um, I did end up, um, going and, and getting my gun permit. Um, because I, for a number of reasons, um, and this was after, um, um, I was, and I think you actually published a, a poem on one of the daily rattles, um, that was inspired by actually being stuck at the Annapolis mall while the mass shooting of the Capitol Gazette paper was literally across the street and people were being evacuated to the mall. And sort of what struck me at, at the time is that, you know, even with with Twitter and you know your your phone and and instant just the the ability to get instant air quotes news, um, it was really hard to get information about what was going on outside. And not every store in the mall actually handled it the same way. So there were people that were still um, you know with this the 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 shooter, and they didn't know if there were more involved. Um, there were, um, bomb threats in Baltimore at the same time. So nobody knew what was going on. Um, but there was no unified response. And so it made me, and so I was stuck in a, in a retail store, um, for, uh, on lockdown for a couple of hours and thinking, wow, is this really how it ends in like the dressing room? And, um, you know, what am I going to do? Just like, you know, where's the exit and gee, okay, let's try on some clothes until it's like, okay to, 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 to go out. Um, but I think that that, you know, between living on the Eastern Shore um, and, um, you know, my, my ex-husband and our older son love hunting, you know, they ate, ate what they kill. Um, and um, my husband's job as a prosecutor and, you know, with he would carry a gun, um, you know, it was definitely it was just I felt so saturated by it. Right. Um, and so really hard, I think. Um, for me, especially in, in as a female in a house full of, uh, of you know, in this environment of, of men, um, it, 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 it was part of this. My struggle was to find my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I'm not sure where I was actually <laughs> going with that other than to say that after the mall shooting, I think that I realized that I, um, I, I became, and I think this is part of the, the writer in me, the, the curious piece. Um, I wanted to go make sure that I knew how to use a handgun, that it wasn't something that I was afraid of. I needed to kind of investigate it. So there are, um, there are some poems that I've kind of written, um, that are born of that particular experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, where we live too, I mean, they're, they're one of the reasons why we have so many guns is because um, the police, it'll, it'll take them, you know, half an hour to get here. Maybe we, we have no police anywhere near us. There's one police car leaves town at 8 PM <laughs> and um, there, right. you know, there's no one else. And so um, I don't know, there's a way that you do have to, I also think about too with the pandemic and, and other things that could happen. Um, you know, society could fall collapse at some point too. And so there's a, there's a reason why um, they're important tools at the same time as we have this whole culture built up around them. Um, it's just a strange a strange world to to be living in. Um, another thing that you you talked about when we were talking on the phone a few times um, was was um, you know given the situation that happened um, the, the role that like social media. Um, plays in in all of this i mean um you know the the jonathan's um suicide was sort of all over social media before like family even knew about it and um and i just keep coming back to to that thoughts because in our town this week too um somebody who i knew um was killed by her husband um and it's the first sort of act of you know that kind of violence in 10 years in this in this town um, but at the same kind of thing, like everybody sort of was sharing things on social media before anybody knew what was happening. And, um, and it, and it ties into the whole thing about like, you don't really know people like we, you know, I knew these people, they seem like such a loving, happy couple. It's so hard to imagine, um, like what happened that night. And, and it's sort of none of my business at the same time, you know, and there's such a strange thing that goes on. Like we have too much information. Like we shouldn't know things that we can know so rapidly without knowing the whole story or what happened. Um, so I don't know. Um, what was your experience like? Cause we talked about that before, um, you know, through the media and, and the, all the attention that the case, that Jonathan's case is, has brought upon you in a lot of ways that's been, and first of all, I should say that I understand why, um, I, I understand that, you know, he was a public figure and it's a story. It was an important story. And it's in a story that it is a story that needed to be told and needed to be reported upon. I've completely and fully respect that. Um, what I think was that the social media aspect of it has definitely been the most difficult. So our, our neighbor for our former neighbor, for example, whose son I taught um, was posting about it, uh, you know, as it happened. And so that, you know, that morning was just a really was a difficult one because you realize that, you know, there's no time to talk to the therapist. You know, how do you tell the kids? Um, it's just like it's a race to simply tell them first. Right. So mm-hmm. I think in in a situation where you have zero control anyway, and that's the only modicum of control that you have. That was deeply, that was something that was deeply hurtful. Um, and these are people that I knew for, um, you know, and were neighbors with for um, a, a long time. And so I think, um, and I'm not on social media because of all this, just for privacy concerns. And, you know, there were, um, and there's just been some really, um, just completely baseless um, kind of conspiracy type things that I've, I've seen out there. And, um, 
and so it's had me thinking a lot about the ways in which um, we consume, that we consume news, how we, um, you know, I mean, that's the very nature of capitalism, right? Is, you know, so is that we, we are consumers. Um, and so I, I think that, um, and, and I think we had used the word yesterday when we were talking about the sort of fragmentation that, that happens, um, um, I think in large part as a result of, of social media, um, you know, and, and I'm sort of more also aware of the, and sensitive to um, the personas that I think we construct on social media platforms and in our public in our public lives, right? And and how is that um, versus who we are um, privately? So um, that's really been, um, and again, I don't have any. I, I really don't have any answers except you know my inclination is to protect myself. So mm -hmm. when people say, "Oh, you know, you should go go," the police should go talk to his wife to find out what she knows. Um, you know, my, um, uh, you know, I, I, my first and my first instinct and, and foremost instinct is to protect myself. I need to be off of these platforms because it's not, um, it, it, it is, um, it is not helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it's hard to know what to do because social media is such a powerful tool for, for sharing and, and communicating. But then it is something that, like, I used to be a lot more active on social media. Um, and now I just am with, like, friends in certain cl more closed environments because, um, you know, even the poetry world is just full of um, insanity, <laughs> to put it. I mean, um, you know, like, Don Cher was sort of hounded off Twitter. I mean, he had the greatest Twitter account for the longest time, and, and then he closed it up after, you know, being attacked constantly. And there's like conspiracy theories even about rattle that like there's people saying that we have I don't even remember like some kind of like human trafficking thing that it's a cover for and people are like sharing this stuff it's in, it's it's I mean and and then the thing about social media that always strikes me is that the people you assume that everybody on social media is sort of normal <laughs> you know I mean they're the, this whole contingent of the population that's just unhinged and they used to write letters to the editor and the news station and, and you'd sort of laugh at the letters to the editor because they're crazy and now they're on social media and you you there's this weird way that we assume that it's like a normal person that we're talking to <laughs> and it, a lot of times it's not I mean going back to the trauma but we're all traumatized and we're all coming at the world in this weird fragmented filtered way and I don't know. I mean, social media just seems so dangerous at the same time as it's so valuable. It's, it's, it's so strange because, I mean, you That's can right. learn more about the world through social media than the news. But, uh, but then there's this, this dark side to it that's just brutal. So I think you talked about your, your book that's coming, you're working on now, or the poems are, are sort of dealing with this a little bit too, right? Yeah. So, um, and, and these, the last um, couple of months I've been participating in um, the the, the grind, right? So it's forcing me to, which is a national national um, uh, program that uh, was started by um, Ross White, um, and um, and so it we get paired with people every month if you you can sign up for it, and that's been really helpful um, to um, kind of force me to put something down on the page, even though every day, even though it may be a sentence, it may be an image, it's just something, and that has been um, tremendously helpful so 
Yeah, well, we kind of have been going off on talking tangents. Let's do some more poems. I think we, we're sort of running up on time, but let's do, if you sure. have time, if you, you don't mind, a, a poem and then a little talk and then another poem to close it out. Okay. So let's do two more poems. Um, so I'll read, um, because I think that so much of um, what we've been talking about is the, is this idea of story, right? And um, um the stories that we tell ourselves and, and the stories that we believe or what we think is are true. And um, so again, this is in the, um, the manuscript. It's called All Kinds of Stories. My body will not lie. Every time within a week, back at the urgent care, peeing into a cup. Again, my son's friend's mother is working her shift again like she was the time before and the time before that. Stress, she says, will do it every time. And again, I do not disagree. Again, I shift the conversation to our boys. But then again, I have to admit, I did not know my son had spent the night at his house two days ago. I had not been at home where I slept alone, my husband on the couch, his snoring and a bad foot. At least that's what we tell ourselves. If there's one thing I've learned, you can tell yourself anything. You can make up all kinds of stories. And there's all kinds of stories uh, again from the from the forthcoming book by Amanda Newell. Um, so, so it is true. Like poets are the keepers of stories in a way. And um, and and uh, I don't know how much of a uh, kind of to bring it back to the current you know the original topic. We we're talking about Adam and um, and I will pass even to Asheron. Um, what do you? What is your sense of like the 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 um, like the difference between what's true factually and what's true on a deeper level, like how, how, how um, tied to specific accuracy are you, do you think, or, or do you think a poet should be? Do you feel like it's okay to change facts in the service of the deeper truth of the poem? Or do you think that, that absolutely. the story, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So while there are, um, there are many things that are, um, you know, maybe factually true, how they get kind of worked into and, and transformed in, in the process. Um, I, you know, I feel as like it's, it's, it's always in service of the poem, right? It's mm-hmm. always, always first and foremost in, in service of the poem. And um, I think that that's how I approach it. So I don't, and I don't feel particularly tied to, oh my gosh, you know, this, everything has got to be exactly um, like it was at all. You know, if there are important details or images, you know, they'll, they will work themselves into, into the poem, but it's um, whether something actually happened or not. I think the, you know, it's, and I should say it's all in, it's in the service of the poem, but it's, but beyond that, it's, it's more in service of the emotional truth. Mm -hmm. Right. I think for me, that's what's important. Yeah. Finding out something I didn't know. Yeah. For me, I feel like the distinction, I I, I don't believe in facts. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Maybe I think facts only exist within context. And and when we talk about, and so, So you know, and so a fact can be something that's factually true, but, but without the context surrounding it, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, it's like a, you know, a gun without bullets or something. I mean, it just, it is what it is, but it can't do anything. And then truth is the, or facts outside of context that, that in every context remain true, I think is what a truth is. And I think that's what poets tend to seek is the truth that's like 
bigger than facts that that exist longer across time and space and perspective than just um, that than facts do. So it's really cool to hear you see that because a lot of people disagree. Like a lot of people think that if there's a fact wrong in a poem, that ruins the poem. And I just I don't care about that. <laughs> so. Um, it's interesting to hear you say that, but, um, but we are kind of running past the, the time. So do you want to finish out with one last poem? Sure. Um, maybe I'll end with, um, a poem called foreclosure and it is the closing poem in postmortem say, and, um, again, sort of prescient because I think that, you know, our old house is likely to, um, go into foreclosure foreclosure missing shingles like lost teeth sun-baked shutters always last on the block to mow after rain and even then only in front the rest of the yard like us we let go yellow jackets angry swarm burning bushes the dumpsters full yeah, and that was foreclosure. A great poem to end on. Um, and thanks so much for being a guest, Amanda. It's been really fun talking to you and really interesting discussion. And, and also, these are just such such wonderfully written books. The two of them, I mean, I'm sorry that everybody has to wait over a year for um, for this poem or for this uh, next book to come out, but it's, but it's worth the wait. So everybody should, um, you know, pin it, put it in your calendar or something. Then sometime in 2023, you should buy this book. Um, do you, do you think about um, revising it all given what's happened or are you sort of more moving forward? Like this is a space because that, that time gap is so weird, um, you know, to have to, to write a book and then you wait so long in publishing um, do, do you think about changing anything up for that or is it just done and then you're moving on? I think, um, I'm not sure that it would be, my instinct is to say, I don't think it would be as honest mm-hmm. if, if I did, um, yeah. change anything about it or add poems. I think that that's got to be, it's got to be another book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so I thought I was dealing with, as you say, you know, I was dealing with one set of facts, right? They were facts that were my own truth. And, um, you know, that wasn't the, it turns out that wasn't the only truth that, that there was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's part of, I think the reckoning and that, that, that I have to deal with. Um, but I think that, um, you know, it's already sort of, it's, it's, it's its own artifact. So I think I need to respect that and respect the poems that only could have been written from that particular point of view, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like the, you know, respecting the past self or something. I'm really, and it's cool to hear right. you say that too. Right. Um, but it's just a wonderful book and I can't wait for everybody to get to see the actual copy when it comes out next year. Um, but thanks for being mm-hmm. a guest, Amanda. It's been great talking to you and and thanks for, for this chat book too, which um, all the readers have loved and, and I loved helping put together. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tim. This has been such an honor and so much fun talking to you today. Thank you for all of your support and everything that you do. Yeah, it's definitely my pleasure. Have a good day. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Yes, that was Amanda Newell. And of course, she was the um, 2021 Rattle Chepik Prize winner, one of the three, for her, um, for I Will Pass Even to Asheron. Her, uh, her, this is the chapbook here. Her, for, There's no cover for the next book, but post, Postmortem Say is um, the uh, the book that's forthcoming. And once again, that book is forthcoming from um, Chervena Barva Press. But you can find more about um, Amanda Newell at her website, amandanewellpoet.com. That's Amanda. Newell is N-E-W-E-L-L, poet, 
youtube.com, amandanewellpoet.com. So, so find uh, more information, more poems um, there. And of course, find I Will Pass Even to Asheron at rattle.com on our website. Now we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go to the open lines. And um, the prompt for this week was to write a poem about a moment of 2021 you'll never forget. So if you have any poems about that, feel free to share. I'll put up the open mic screen here. First, first, what you do if you'd like to participate in the open mic, they don't have to be prompt poems. They can be news poems about current events. They can be poems you've recently published and are proud of and want to share. Um, whatever you want to share is great, but the prompt is a prompt too, and you can share those as well. No matter what you're doing, email the poem first to openmic at rattle.com. That's openmic at rattle.com, so I can show it on the screen as you read, which is always nice to read along the poems. And then pick one or the other. If you'd like to appear on video, go to Skype, open your Skype app, and type Rattle Poetry into the search. Um, then send me a chat message. Just say, hey, I want to read a poem. I will call you within the next hour or so. If you'd like to do phone, the number is 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. There, just call, let it ring a few times, and hang up. If you call right now, I'll know that you wanted to share a poem, and I'll call you back. Um, so... I'm going to go to a quick break and a stretch and get things set up, and I will be right back. And we're back. Thanks for letting me stand up and stretch. It's just a, you know, it's a two and a half hour show or so. It's a long time to sit in one place. So, so thanks for obliging me that way. Um, now... The open lines are, are starting now, and as I mentioned, the po- the prompt this week was to write a poem about a moment of 2021 you'll never forget. And now this month, so this is the, you know the time of New Year's resolutions, and I was thinking about it. My New Year's resolution is going to be that I no longer will um, write 20-minute poems right before the show. <laughs> and so as I was starting to write a 20-minute poem right before the show, I thought, no. Um, I'm going to take poems seriously. That's my New Year's resolution, is take writing a poem every week very seriously and only share it if it's a serious, you know, a real poem that I actually spent time on. I was thinking about that David Kirby interview where he says a poet equals, what was it, idea plus time or something like that or, or something plus time. But the time is something I don't give it. And I'm going to start giving it to now. So um, so I started writing something and I was like, no, this is not this is not a real poem, to be honest. I mean, it's not a poem unless you enter the poetic space. So I'm not going to share things where I actually enter the poetic space. And um, so I don't have a poem. And Megan has also been sick this weekend, unfortunately. So um, she didn't get to write a poem either. As you know, normally she does. She's really good about that. But uh, but it's been a little under the weather. So we're just going to go straight to open lines. And let's call up first. Um, let me say we have a... Hmm. So somebody called in. It was a nine. It was a nine nine one nine number, I think. It's not appearing on my call screen though, which happened a little while ago too. So if you're if you're at that nine one nine number, um, give me a call again because for some reason it didn't appear. Um, I think it was nine one nine. I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. Um, so maybe the system, maybe something changed on the the problem if you're doing the show over a long space of time, something like this, is the technology. Everybody updates things, and things change constantly. You know, so it's running through so many different programs. And maybe the, I don't know why, but that number, it showed up as calling and then didn't hold. So calling again. Um, I wanted to go to some other callers first, just so you could see that um, um, how it goes. So so if when I call you, the one thing you should remember, actually two things, is that um, 
I'm going to be a little bit of a delay. So I'm calling kind of from the future. So you have to have the poem in front of you. First of all, you have to read. You can't read off the screen as I show the poem, even if you sent it. You have to actually have the poem in front of you. You also um, have to shut off your stream or mute yourself before you start reading or, or talking to me, because otherwise you're talking to two me's at the same time from two different times, and that doesn't make any sense. It's confusing. So um, so who do we have? We have um, Bev Wendell Atherstone. We have Zachary Honeycutt. We have Carol Carolyn Codd, Mike Bales, um, Dick Westheimer, Nivedita Karthik, um, Angela Gartner. Um, let's go to Zachary Honeycutt first, and then yeah, and that um, and I hope that nine one nine number nine one two it might have been something like that calls in again. Um, let's go to Zachary Honeycutt first. Hey Zachary, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Cool, you called me first. Awesome. Yeah, I try. You know, since we have sort of a regular crowd, I try to mix up the time that I call you. So you, you get early on sometimes and later on sometimes. Um, so what do you have uh, that you want to share? Oh yeah, that's right. You had the uh, Warp Ten Lit Magazine poem that you mentioned you'd like to share, um, and, and yeah. that was just, had just come out. So and, and once again, mm-hmm. this Warp Ten um, is, a, is a science fiction poetry um, online journal. Right. Yeah, they they're they're totally online, and um, I really love submitting to it because he usually gets back to me right away. Lane Chasek, uh, he's really good with with the timing, and I can get a lot of really cool stuff published on there where I use my imagination. I had a horror short story, like science fiction horror short story, published there a few months ago, the end of August, about UFOs. And now I just recently, on the 23rd, got two creepy science fiction poems published. And um, there's just a lot of great stuff on there. There's poems that range from, like, building lightsabers to alien conspiracy theories and just all kinds of really great stuff, you know, UFO abductions and, and all those kinds of things. So it's just a really neat journal, and I enjoy writing for it. Yeah, it's really cool. It's fun stuff that I enjoy. This is the picture that they included uh, with your poems here. Uh, two poems from Zachary Honeycutt. Do you want to read both of these? Um, I think I'm going to start with Dead Cow, and I might read, yeah, I might read the other one too, yeah. But for now, let me start with Dead Cow. Okay, so I've got Dead Cow up. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay. All right. Maybe you should say a little bit about what it's about, because I think, you know, I'm a fan. As I mentioned many times, I'm a fan of the old Art Bell show, um, which I just found again. Um, there's a podcast which probably is illegally, um, uh, you know, on, on the podcaster apps, um, playing old Art Bell shows from the '90s. So I've been re-listening to some of those. It's just they're just so fun. I mean, I don't believe anything that's on there, but um, but it's really fun radio, especially <laughs> late night at work. And and he's such a great host. Like I'd love to be a a host that's as good as him. Um, so so but so I'm familiar with like the Linda Moulton Howe um, is the woman who does the cow mutilation stories from you know those all that stuff. So explain a little bit though for people who don't know because I'm not sure how much it's in pop culture or, or maybe it is completely but but explain a little bit for people who don't know. Well I don't know a whole lot about myself but I've heard I've just heard things and I've watched videos about the cow mutilations and yeah um it's happening all over. Um, the story that my poem is about, Dead Cow, actually supposedly happened right in Ocala, Florida, which is like a little over an hour away from where I live. And this man and his wife just 
woke up the next day, uh, the night before they had seen strange lights in the sky and they heard like these awful noises. They heard like their cows actually screaming. If you could imagine what a fearful cow sounds like when it's screaming. Mm -hmm. So they waited till the next morning and they slowly walked out and they found um, this dead cow on their property and it had been completely gutted and the way that it was gutted it almost looked like um someone had used like utensils and like specific tools to actually make an incision in the cow and take out the blood there was no blood and it's the creepiest thing and yes this kind of thing has been reported in a bunch of different states in the west and all over like i said even even in florida and they don't know what's going on there's all different theories one theory is that there's some kind of substance in the cows that the aliens are using i think to even like get high possibly (laughs) and they're, they're getting high off of the yeah off of off of a product of the cow and um, yeah, and they just there there's no really logical explanation. And mm-hmm. when I saw the footage for myself, um, you know, you can't you can't deny that because I, I actually saw the footage myself and they showed they showed the cavity where 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 everything was removed and there was no blood and it's like, well, you know, what's doing this? I mean it can't be it can't be anything logical. So what you know, what's the next conclusion that you would draw? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember from the, in the nineties, the theory that was when mad cow disease was a big thing. And so the theory back yeah. then was that mad cow disease was going to ruin the entire planet, you know, destroy all of the human race. And so the aliens were saving us from the mad cow disease by experimenting on the cows and figuring out what, <laughs> um, you know, how to fix the, what are those things called? The chlorions or whatever, the little, the, what are those called? The, I can't remember. Anyway, Let's uh, let's hear this poem, Dead Cow, Zachary. Yeah, sounds great. Dead Cow. I saw it driving down the road one day, tipped over at an angle, snout kissing the dirt, and cloven hooves sticking out in midair, pasted over the canvas in a way that seemed unnatural, frozen, separate from the chirping birds and shaking leaves of tree branches, like it was too stiff to be real, but someone had put it there anyway. It was so conspicuous that as I passed the thing, I could not stop my gaze from pivoting to it. And then, not even looking at the road, my eyes grew wide. There it was, scraped into the foreground, pushing back landscape and blocking skyline with its mouth full of cud. But cut open neatly and drained of all blood that is a creepy poem thanks for for sharing that zachary and then uh do you want to do the other one's a sonnet if you want to do it yeah i, I will i will do that yeah i just want to say one more thing really quick because i oh, forgot yeah, sure. to say that uh-huh. but um this is like actually two things that happened to me that inspired me to write this poem the other incident um, at the beginning of this poem where the guy is passing the cow on the road, that actually happened to me. I forgot to tell you that. Oh, I saw a dead cow once um, driving close to, to where I live um, on the side of the road. And just how I described it, that's exactly how it was. It was like so irregularly placed. It was mm-hmm. like 
it was tipped over and its hooves were sticking out in midair. And I didn't go out of my car to see what was going on with it, but it looked very bizarre. It looked like it didn't belong there. It was just like stiff as a board and, and unnatural. And so that was the other thing that I wrote about. And so, yeah, it's kind of like in the shape of a UFO, the poem. I thought that like the words at the bottom could be like a beam coming out, coming out of the UFO. Uh-huh, you know? Yeah, well, that, that is cool. And let's hear the other one. Is this 17 Thunderbird? Um, and what, what's this one about? Okay, so yeah, this one is just kind of, you probably know all about this, Tim. It's it's based on like a Navajo legend, um, the Thunderbird. That's where I got the idea for the title. But I really wanted to just write a sonnet that kind of captured the whole mythos of that area and just all of the kind of strange things that you hear about going on in the desert. And there was a news story about um, they uncovered this like metal uh, obelisk shaped thing in the desert and they don't know how it got there. And it was there for like, I don't, I don't know, a few weeks and then it disappeared and no one knows where it came from. If it was the government or if the government took it away or if it was, oh, you I know, do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember alien that one. origins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, I yeah, I should look yeah, into that because the subject it, is of that is yeah. Yeah, usually, uh, you know, Reddit or or 4chan is really good at uh, figuring out the. I wonder if they've figured that out, what those really were. That yeah, I remember that those things. Those were interesting. Well, let's hear this poem because we want to uh, keep going. So, Sonnet Seventeen, yeah. Thunderbird. Go ahead. All right, Thunderbird. Deep in the desert, superstition thrives, inscribed on totem poles in arid lands and on men's lips who in their daily lives notice structures built not by human hands. Lizards with no eyes lie dead in their strives to taste false black water or hear the chants. Hard truths passed down behind cheap motel dives, swallowed by Navajo, lizards by ants. Something in the atmosphere of dark drives them to bring to life before the fire's death, the object of derision. Among Clives, south of Moab, the subject of their breath. What left then took the metal obelisk? The Thunderbird? Maybe a flying disc. Nice and great sonnet. That was uh, Sonnet 17, Thunderbirds. Thanks, Zachary, for uh, for joining and, and uh, putting some some speculation and some uh, formalism into the into the podcast. Always fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a blast with you, Tim. I'll, I'll see you next week. Yep, take care. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, so we have uh, two first-time callers. I'll do those next. Um, we have a 617 and a 607. I assume that's separate people. Um, and But first, let's do uh, Nivedita Karthik, because um, Nivedita, Nivedita is in India, uh, where it is like 1 a.m. or something. So let's call up Nivian and get her on. Hey, Nivedita, how are you doing today? Hey, Tim, I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. It's a really fun morning. I really like the the time. I I don't know if if it's frustrating for you being so late, but um, but it's nice for, it's nice for me to sort of get it right away. This, this is also better for me rather than the morning when I'm like rushing to finish this and then rushing to head to work. This this is so much better even for me. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I am. Okay, so what do you have that you'd like to share this week? Um, I have the usual prompt yeah. poem and the new story poem. 
Okay, well, I have the prompt poem up. So, um, so go ahead with this. What what was this? Um, the soul of poetry. Okay, so I know. I think this year for me has been all about poetry. I think I first is I think with Rattlecast. I think almost every week Touchwood, except for very few that probably two or three that I've missed. I've almost attended everything. So I've been listening to more poetry, writing more poetry. Mm-hmm. So I think the entirety of 2021 for me is just been the year of poetry. Oh, that is I so mean, cool. COVID, yeah, 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 all that is fine, but it's it's poetry. I think the cornerstone of 2021 for me is poetry. And I also working on a book of poetry that is this close to being published. Like it's almost published here in India. So I think 2021 for me is the year of poetry. So that's that's the best part about 2021 for me. So I think that's just what I wanted to bring forth here. Oh, that's really cool to hear. I'm glad I'm glad to hear it. So let's hear this poem, The Soul of Poetry. Go ahead. The Soul of Poetry. A boundless, finite curve, blunting the keen edge of curiosity and blurring bridges. A dense canopy of emotions set down firmly upon the tree of perception, rooted in the ground of reality with branches of imagination stretching outwards, whitewashing over the cracks between the lines, translating prosaic actions into unique thoughts. Excellent. Excellent description of poetry. Thanks for sharing that, Nivi. And then you have a news poem, too. And thank you, because I think Rattlecast is one of the main things that made 2021 the year of poetry for me. Yeah. So uh, thanks just... to you and everybody. <laughs> that just makes me so happy. Thanks thanks for saying that, Nivi. It's it's really, I, I, I love doing this. It's my favorite thing to do. Um, you know, I, I, it's tempting to just go on, the, on forever on these shows because they're just so fun. I know. I mean, um, same here. It's like, I wait for Sunday night. Like, I'm like, Sunday night like <laughs> I know Monday is gonna come next morning but you know what that that's fine I just I just want Sunday night to be here so that I can I can attend Rattlecast that's oh. that's how it's become for me and I just love it and thank you so much oh it's just my pleasure yeah thanks for being here um so so then you have a fun poem like usual wait what tops 2022 banished word list so explain this article that we're talking about here um so there's this college that comes up with a list of words that they deem not necessary or sort of bringing down the level of English. And (laughs) each year they come up with a list of 10 words. And this year, some of them were so weird. Like new normal was one of the words on the list, which I think they're right in saying that new normal has been a tad bit overused yeah, in this I would, I time would say of COVID. So. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's like very common phrases like, wait, what is something at least people of my generation, like, we're like, wait, what? What did you just say? Things like that. It's like, it's like common lingo for us. And those were sort of like the banished words and <laughs> supply chain. I mean, that's just so random. <laughs> like, supply chain? Wait, you're on mute? Like, <laughs> I, I just don't know where they came up with these phrases. It was just so random. <laughs> so I just had to, like, write about it. Okay, cool. Well, let's hear this. This is banished. Go ahead. Banished. Wait, what? What are you saying? Hold on. Circle back to the beginning, please, for I didn't quite catch that. You've suddenly gone into a deep dive without giving me the basis. Why am I interested? Oh, no reason. I'm just asking for a friend who's jumped on the literature bandwagon. In these times of the new normal, what was he doing earlier? Oh, he was into supply chain and logistics, you know. But that being said, at the end of the day, are we all not literature wannabes just hoping to improve our speak and write? Hello, hello. Hello. So did you just not hear a word I said? 
No, you were on mute. <laughs> That's right. Well, that is a true poet's reaction when they see a list of uh, banished words to use every single one. So <laughs> that's perfect. Thanks, Nivi. And most of those are like words that I think most of us use at least one of those phrases on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. it's like, why Why are those <laughs> in the banished words list? But it makes for fun poems, so it, why not? It does. Well, thanks as always, Nivi. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, take care and have Thank a good night. Thank you, Tim. It's lovely talking to you too. Yep, bye. Have a great Sunday. You too. Bye. bye. Nivedita Karthik with two poems. And now we have, um, let's see, we have two, um, I don't know if they're first-time callers, so I don't, I don't see any unusual names on the email list. Yeah, well, yeah, we have Lisa, yeah, maybe Lisa Walker and Brenwyn Drew. So maybe those are one of these two. We have a 617 and a 607. So let's call up a 617 first and see who that might be. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle, and you are live on the air. Who am I talking to? Hi, Tim. It's Peter Desmond. Hey, Peter. It's great to hear. I've seen your name on the, in the chat a lot lately. It's great to hear your voice. I'm an enthusiastic new fan of your show. Well, I'm so glad. Yeah, I'm so glad you could be here. Where are you calling from? Cambridge, Mass. Ah. And, uh, and what do you have that you would like to share today? It's called The Alchemist in the Bathroom. Is there anything you want to say to uh, set it up? Oh, well, you asked for poems about uh, the most striking thing that happened to us in 2021, and this counts. <laughs> okay, well, let's hear it. Go ahead whenever you're ready. I put it up. All right. I'm ready. The Alchemist in the Bathroom. I was safe at home, secure in my castle. A year-long lockdown? No hassle. Then the toilet balked. I flushed. The bowl brimmed. Some liquid spilled over. Situation? Grim. The bowl slowly gurgled as its level abated. Could I get a plumber who'd been vaccinated? I chose the path of self-reliance, guided by facts and household science. Googling clogged toilet, I found Bob Villa. He had a potion to fell my Godzilla. Baking soda and vinegar to the pantry I went and gathered the two ingredients Pour arm and hammer into the bowl. Add non-balsamic vinegar. Let the good times roll. Wait half an hour and flush it away. Science will guide us to a better day. <laughs> and thanks for sharing that, Peter. That was uh, the alchemist in the bathroom. And it, it unfortunately, it brings me back. I had the same, we had a, a similar pandemic experience. We had to have our last year though, in the, in the fall of 20, what, 2020, we, uh, our whole septic system had to be replaced in the middle of the pandemic. So we had a, um, you know, the, the porta potty outside for a month and, you know, worrying about the plumbers and if they had, that have masks and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, so that brings me back <laughs> to a really, maybe the worst month of, uh, one of the worst months I can remember. Uh, but thanks for sharing that. My pleasure. Bye. Yeah, take care. That was uh, Peter Desmond, and let's add Peter to our call list. We know who it is next time. Uh, 416 is calling in, too. We'll get you after we do the 607. We also have Kimberly McNeil, who I haven't mentioned yet. 
Um, Dick Westheimer and Angela Gartner are here too. So we got a full house, but let's, um, let me, where was that? Let me add Peter to my call list first. So we know who it is. And then let's go to, let's go to the 607 and see who that is. Hello. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle, and you are live on the air. Who am I talking to? This is Branwyn Drew in Rome, New York. Hey, Branwyn. Yeah. So where'd you say from Rome, New York? Yes. Ah, great. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Rochester, so I'm familiar with that area. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, so, so what do you have that you want to share today? Well, I've got a poem called The Gift, and it was uh, inspired by an incident last month before Christmas. Okay, well, uh, let's go ahead and hear it whenever you're ready. The gift. Got a gift from a secret Santa. Someone cares, Santa in secret. Many gifts this season, not from secret Santas, from sisters, BFFs, friends, family, chosen or by birth. Not gifts wrapped in paper, gifts of love, gifts of caring, gifts of friendship, gifts of support, all wrapped in warmth, bright red and royal purple. Tied with ribbons of light, gold, silver, rainbows glowing bright in the winter night. These gifts arrive not just on a moon-bright winter night, given freely all year round. Accept my gifts without obligation of love, friendship, support, caring. Share these gifts with others. The more we receive them, who receive them, the better we remake the world. Happy holidays. Yeah, thanks. Excellent poem. Excellent reminder for this time of year. Thanks, Brandon. Yes, thank you. Yep, have a great day. You too, bye-bye. Bye. That was Branwyn Drew, and you can see on the website, or on the on the bottom of the screen there, um, Branwyn's website if you want to find more, um, Branwyn Drew, that's B-R-A-N-W-E-N-D-R-E-W.com. That's where Brandon's artwork is, and then poetry at branwindrew.medium.com. So you can check that out. And uh, that poem was The Gift. So um, thanks for sharing that. And we'll, we'll also add... Brian went to our call list. Uh, so good to have, have new callers. Always a real pleasure having uh, new voices on the lines here. Let's add Branwyn really quick. Okay. And now we have another uh, first-time caller. Let's do all three of these first-time callers at once. This is a 416. Let's see who we have at 416. Hey, Lisa Allison, I see your email. It's great yes. to uh, to talk to you. Again, yeah. another poet that we've had uh, in the chats for a long time. It's really cool to hear your voice. Thank you. It's good to be on. And where are you calling from? Toronto, Canada. Uh, okay, so how are things there in Toronto? Actually, speaking of the COVID, that's one of the places I've been looking at because the Omicron variant got there really early on. Like something from South Africa went right away. Um, are, are things sort of... Yes. Is there any sign that the, because um, it peaked so fast in South Africa, is there any sign that it um, is coming down a little bit in Ontario? Right. And ironically, I'm from both South Africa and Toronto. I grew up in South Africa. <laughs> it's not following me, I swear. Um, I I don't know about peaking. The numbers certainly yesterday were way higher than before. It mm-hmm. seems to be still increasing by about a third every few days. Don't quote me on that. But today was a little bit lessening. But they've stopped the um, formal testing now for a lot of people they've just said if you think you have it just stay home mm-hmm. and bear out the mild symptoms yeah it's uh, pretty bad you know about as bad as 
you guys what you guys are going through right now in the states mm-hmm. yeah i just keep that's one of the places i keep checking to see because one of these days i think it's going to be dropping rapidly because in south africa it's like it's almost gone already um it's just it moves so fast through the population um but anyway what poem do you have that you wanted to share today so I have a poem about my daughter, and uh, she has autism, and she school has been a long process, and she graduated this year and has gone on to college. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And and this is from uh, the Lumiere Review? Mm-hmm. It's a great uh, quarterly journal online, and they, it's run by Jessica Kim, and she's just fantastic with her poets and, and writers and artists who submit to her. She really gives them a lot of showcase in her on her twitter feed that's very cool one of the things yeah i love um you know showing new journals because i'm you know i'm not really familiar with what's going on as far as um literary journals are so every time somebody has a link to share what they can share a poem like this it's really cool to see and explore the journal a little bit too so thanks for sharing that um and then i have spectrum so go ahead whenever you're ready um i'll put it up on screen okay spectrum my daughter wears my DNA like a casualty, drifts through conversations with melodic logic. When she speaks in the language of our ancestors, I know she's caught something with her mind, a Spinosaurus or a Disney cartoon. She grows deep, a creature of thrum and ashes. When her school day spins bright, she rocks tick-tock to find a kind face, comes home bent with hurt. In the evening, she wraps herself tight in an old breeze, wanders the playground to feast on leftover laughter, lone kisses fallen to the ground. I find her shivering beneath a tree, her skin discarded on a rock. Life after life, she sobs. Too much. I wrap her under my ribs. We dance to the sound of unfurling leaves, sing to the shift of birch bark. She hears everything. I don't call myself an autism warrior. I harbor night creatures whose heads hang low, blood-wet wings stuck to their bodies. By morning, I turn them out. They unfurl and fly. At night, they return. Watch me. Cold planets in my throat. Oh, that was a beautiful poem and, and beautifully read. I love that, Lisa. That's Spectrum. Thanks so much for sharing, and I'm so glad to, you could call in. Yeah, good to talk to you. Thanks, Tim. Yep, have a good rest of your Sunday. Bye now. Bye. Yeah, that was Lisa Ellison with uh, um, Spectrum. And let me look at the um, about. This is um really interesting website, too. The brightest literary magazine around, we believe, is uh, um, amplifying the voices of marginalized writers and artists. And this is uh, Jessica Kim, the founder and editor-in-chief. Very interesting. Um, so to find that at, at LumiereReview.com. And you can, uh, it's on the screen, but if you're just listening, it's L-U-M-I-E-R-E Review.com. So find that and find Lisa's poem, a really beautiful poem. Thanks for sharing that, Lisa. And now um, let's move on to, oh, wait, let me put Lisa Allison on her phone book too. The open lines, I um, I love when we have new people who haven't called in before. I, one of the sort of a, a metric is how many new people I can put in the phone book every week. Um, and that was great. So thanks, Lisa and uh, Peter and um, and Bronwyn. And let's call up on Kimberly McNeil, who's a poet that uh, hasn't been on since last May. 
Hello. Hey, Kimberly, how you doing today? Hey, I'm good. I'm just trying to pull up the poem here. I'm a little nervous. Well, it's great to have you. It's been a while. Um, where are you calling from again? I don't remember. Hello. Hey, Kimberly. Oh, I hear myself in the background, so mute that or turn hey, off I'm your stream. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, we're good. I'm yeah. calling from Florida. Ah, okay. And um, and so you included a picture with this poem. Um, do you want to explain what, what the poem is and, and what the photograph's of? Um, it's a poem about my father. So that's your father on the screen. I love his mustache. That's great. Yeah, he was a total badass. <laughs> and for anybody who is just listening, there's a, he's got a, um, it's, it's, um, um, her father with a, a cool handlebar mustache and then, and three, uh, three kids there. Are those, are those your siblings? Yeah, there's actually four of us there. It's me and my brother, Kevin, my brother, Michael, and my brother, Patrick. Oh, very cool. And so uh, go ahead and read this poem whenever you're ready. Okay, it's titled Mindfulness of an Enigmatic Individual. Mindfulness, my father comes to mind. He did not gift. Instead, he fixed your bicycle or quoted you accurately something you said walking away years before he noticed the invisibles joined with them at meetings circling counterclockwise accomplishing nothing so that they were not alone He was consistent, yet unconventional. His intensity, so sensitive, so thoughtful, it embarrassed me. I have not met anyone who worked harder. He told me the truth. He would save our mother first if a fire engulfed our house. He kept his cool under fire. He sent me a note the day I wrecked the car. It said, don't ignore injury, Kimberly, if you have pain. He delivered meals. He built houses. He volunteered his time, his concentration, and skills. When he laughed, which was rare. Sarcasm was absent. His simplicity, his sadness, his failures were there. If I came to my father, found him out in the garage, sweating profusely, profanities allowed, Fixing something. His attentive attentiveness to my problems 
was like worship. He listened carefully, and I cannot remember an instance or an answer of no. Oh, what a, yeah, what a beautiful tribute um, to your father coming. That was great. And it, it struck me as I was listening to that, that if, you know, the, your goal in life should be to have somebody write a poem like that about you. Um, that was just beautiful. I mean, thanks so much for, for sharing that and, and, and bringing that as part of the program today. Sir, my pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to read it. Yeah, yeah, definitely a pleasure. And uh, so many great lines in there, too. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Kimberly. Sure. Bye. That was Kimberly McNeil with Mindfulness of an Enigmatic Individual. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. And um, who are we going to do next? Let's go back down the list. Let's call it Carolyn Codd. Ah, and Jackie McManus is here. We'll call up Jackie next. There's going to be another first-time caller, too, with Otter Lake. But right now, oh, let's try Try the phone. Hey, Carolyn, this is Tim with Rattle, and you are live on the air. How are you doing today? Hello. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, good. So what do you have that you would like to share? I, th- I see too many poems. Um, can you describe yeah. what you're about a little bit? Yeah. <clears throat> well, it, it, um, I think I mentioned I, I'm not able to participate as much because I go to church on Sunday morning, ah. and it interferes with the time. But um, I decided to stay home today. So, um, anyhow, this is so. This is a pro, was from the prompt of the winter solstice, mm-hmm. and it just made me think more about the beginning of winter. And um, I grew up in the Northeast, and I lived for a long time also in Illinois. So, I'm, it's my experience with winter there, and now living in in um, Southern California, the, the differences. And um, then the other poem is just from my experience growing up in the real winter lands. Yeah, well, we're uh, in Southern California, too, but up in the mountains, so we have uh-huh. about a foot of snow out, and it. one of the reasons I moved up here is because I missed the seasons. It felt like the, the year was just, like, never ended yeah. because it, there was no change in the weather, so I, I like it up here myself. I, yeah, well, I'm glad to be down down lower. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I know a lot of people would be. A lot of people up here wish they were down lower right about now. Yeah. Um, so which That's one right. do you want to read first? I have Nostalgia and Reality, and then I have um, The Winter Garden. Yeah, I'll read the two little ones first. Okay. sure. And then go to... So Nostalgia is um, Thoughts of Waking Up to Freshly Fallen Snow. That's beautiful. And yeah. then rea- Reality is Now... <laughs> Glad to see the snow only on top of mountains. Very nice. Yeah, and we're up here with the I, snow. Yeah. Yeah, I can. <laughs> I see your snow up there. <laughs> yeah, and then okay. um, and then this other one is Winter Garden. Go ahead with that one too. Yeah, yeah. And so this is my experience growing up with the snow. Um, shh, walk quietly. It's winter. The garden is sleeping. At times, it seems dull and dreary under its blanket of dead, fallen leaves. But on closer look, one sees bright touches of red berries and seeds. With even deeper, colder winter comes a blanket of snow, which falls gently without making a sound, not wanting to wake the sleeping garden. Then, not even storms with howling wind disturb its profound slumber. Snuggling further down under the blanket, the sleeper sleeps on. 
After a while, a few sunny days, and the daffodils start to stir, peeking up over the blanket. They have little trouble going back to sleep when colder, darker days return, waiting for spring's authentic arrival. In the meantime, a great idea on this cold and cloudy afternoon, a long winter's nap. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that too, Carolyn. It was great to have you um, on sharing these poems, really, really wonderful tributes to winter. And, um, and I'm glad we could catch you for a live one. Sorry that the show moved to a less yeah. convenient time, but I'm glad we could have you now. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks a lot. Yep, take care. Okay. Yep, bye. Okay, you too. Bye. That was Carolyn Codd with, uh, with two, well, really three poems, Nostalgia and Reality and Winter Garden. Um, let's go down to, and let's do Angela Gartner now. Hey, Angela, how are you doing today? Good. Let me just uh, um, close you out here. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, so, so how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's a really fun show and, uh, and a, you know, fun. I've kind of been, um, you know, spending a lot of time not doing much this last two weeks, which is nice. I've been kicking into holiday mode. It's hard to do any work, um, which kind of feels nice. I needed a break. Yeah, I, I know my deadline... My um, the magazine I edit deadline usually ends right so I get like kind of a week now. Now I start back up really hitting it hard tomorrow. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I hear you. <laughs> so, so your poem is starting anew. Is there anything you want to say about it? No, I think I'll just read it. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. Okay, go ahead whenever you're ready. I have it up. Starting anew, and by the way, I just wrote this like. I started writing it last night, and then I finished it this morning. So. <laughs> Very nice. Hot off the press. Yeah, it is. Starting anew. I was now stuck in the back seat at the end of a four-hour car trip. It was a thrown shoe at his head that started the brother's tussle. My mouth had opened to say, I wasn't ready. It was a sign. We should turn around. I kept hearing his shallow breaths, his head limp the frozen skin. We were at the double doors with the muffled, excited barking. A face like his great uncle ran toward us, his leash pulling. The young fur felt different. I held him as we rode home, looking out the window. I felt the small footprint lift an inch off my broken mind. Oh, that's a beautiful one. I love that. That was great. So, um, so... How, um, how's it going with a puppy? It, it's good. Like he, you know, cause we lost our, um, 11 year old dog, um, in December, mm-hmm. uh, 2020, we ended the year there and then we got our new dog in January and, you know, I still feel was feeling very heartbroken about him. And um, so that was kind of like when we picked him up, I was still feeling like, oh, my gosh, maybe we shouldn't do this. But uh-huh. he's ac- he actually is the great nephew of my 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 new dog, which you probably might heard <laughs> is the great nephew of my my um, my other my old my mm-hmm. dog that passed away. So yeah. it's kind of nice that we kind of were able to kind of keep it in the family but he doesn't act like his great uncle for sure <laughs> yeah they all have different personalities that's for sure yeah we're we're um, i've never had to you know have a dog die um and we have a a german shepherd that we got who's he's starting to get oh i mean dogs go quickly you know it's it's tough 
Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was like the best thing that happened in 2021, but mm-hmm. it's definitely when we got him, I was still really mourning uh, my other one. And, you know, now that the year has gone by, it's like, we've just got to closer and closer. Cause we, he wasn't a puppy when we got him. He was one actually. Uh, okay. And, mm-hmm. and it was the same. Cause when we got our 11 year old, back you know he was one when we got him it was like it was kind of we were meant to have him but it still was at the time I was still you know still upset but it's 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 you know they really do fill that hole Mm -hmm. you know the new ones fill the hole and you never forget the old one but it definitely it it definitely helps and um, I think I'll never not have a dog I can't Mm -hmm. ever (laughs) it's like the best dogs are the best thing ever they just heal your the, it, it you really feel like they are your emotional support animals, but you know, but you're just, you know, they're giving you so much back, and mm-hmm. they, you know, you give them so much, but they give so much back to you that I don't even know if they know it. Yeah, I uh, we have we've always had cats, and um, <clears throat> and so now we have a dog, and and I'm really I realize I'm a dog person. <laughs> I like the dog much better than the cats. No offense to cat lovers or anything, but but dogs actually, you know, you can talk to them and they do stuff, <laughs> and they're uh, they're but they're more, much more there than uh, than a cat. But anyway, um, thanks for for sharing that memory um, from 2021, Angela. I appreciate it. Thank you, and I have a happy new year. Yeah, you too. <laughs> happy, happy new year. Start. I kind of forgot. Yeah, it is a new year. Happy new year, Angela. <laughs> yeah, happy new year. Yep, thanks. Bye. Okay, bye bye. There's Angela Garden with starting a new. Um, let's go to, and let's go to. I mentioned Jackie McManus. Let's go to Jackie. Um, she has um, a poem Otter Lake, and I think Jackie, if I remember right, Jackie has a poem in our spring issue, which I'm putting together right now. Let's call up Jackie. We got the voicemail. I'll, I'll try Jackie again. Jackie, I'm going to call you up in um, another couple minutes if you're still listening. So. Um, to set it to a ring and um is it, yeah i'm confirming so yeah we have jackie mcmanus is in the uh, librarian poets tribute that's coming out this spring i want to make sure i was thinking of the right mcmanus um okay so let's go to uh richard westheimer i think this is and then we'll call jackie and then i have a few poems people asked me to read um so let's call up richard right now hey richard how you doing today I'm doing great. I am. And I'll just run through this because I know you have a, a list of folks coming and um, and read my um, New Year's resolution poem, which was a poet's respond poem. Yeah, very cool. OK, let me uh, let me pull it up. And so is there anything you want to say about that? We, we don't have to rush that much. Yeah, well, it it kind of um, it stems from the fact that I've actually never made a New Year's resolution. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so these sort of understanding the sort of the grift of new year's resolutions at least for me anyway yeah it's, it's, it's much better to have a a system instead of a goal i think the whole goal-oriented nature of the resolutions are sort of self-defeating i think that's that's definitely the case but it's you know an interesting way to look back at, at what you might do differently yeah it, it is i mean i will say that my when i used to go to a public gym that I would just avoid it in January. Oh, really? It would just be packed the locker room <laughs> with you know with uh-huh. with people, and then by February first, 
Interesting. You know, and I talked to the gym manager, and he'd say, "Yeah, we make we make all our money in annual memberships in in January, and then <laughs> and then the rest of you come back in February." That's funny. Yeah, but it makes makes complete sense. This a, I remember this poem reading the submissions. It was a good one. So go ahead uh, whenever you're ready and re- resolve for the new year. Resolved for the new year, I will weigh myself naked. I will not interfere with the moon's orbit. I will clean under my fingernails. I will leave socks on the floor. I will put down the toilet seat. I will not understand grief. I will rail against book burnings. I will remember the dead. I will forget the dead and remember to floss. I won't sunbathe. I will eat bananas. I will remember that bananas are the fruit of conquest. I will still eat bananas. I will doom scroll at least twice a day. I will give up on Twitter. I won't give up on Twitter. I will buy more books than I can read. I will curse Nazis. I will not curse the darkness. I will eat too much bread. I will tell people how degrading the cashew trade is. I will eat a lot of cashews. I will forget birthdays. I will remember the distance from here to the sun. I will wonder at the number of stars. I will poke around numbly for something to do on my phone. I will write checks to the right organizations. I won't respond when they call me to the streets. I will fake caring about football. I will fake not caring about football. I will crave new gadgets. I will be embarrassed about my cravings. I will plant too many tomatoes. I will kiss my wife on that soft place at the nape of her neck. I will stare at her bare shoulders from across the room. I will drink coffee every day. I will have trouble sleeping. I will forget to call my mother-in-law. I will feel badly about it. I will buy stuff I don't need. I will try not to fall into my own gravity well. I will eat a lot of chocolate. I won't be objective about my grandchildren or my poems. I will take rejection personally. I won't take rejection personally. Yeah, great list poem, um, Richard. That was uh, resolved for the new year. And um, I love the way that moves through that list with the rhythms of it and the different the different turns and twists. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Appreciate you. Yep, Bye-bye. Take care. Uh, Richard Westheimer, resolved for the new year. Let's call up... Um, Let's call Jackie and see if we can get connected with Jackie this time. Hey, Jackie, you are live on the air. It's great to talk to you. Oh, oh, hi. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think this is the first time um, we've ever spoken, but we've published you a couple times. So you have a poem forthcoming um, in the spring issue, which I'm putting together right now. Actually, after we do this uh, this podcast, that's what I'm going to be working on this afternoon. Um, so it's cool. Where, you call, where are you so calling from? Things. Yeah, where are you calling from? I'm calling from... I'm calling from the Dalles, Oregon. It's about an hour and a half east of Portland. Ah, yeah, it's a beautiful area. I love that whole area. We, it uh, is. It's yeah, we go up there gorgeous. once a year because yeah. um, uh, Megan's parents live up there. Um, oh, they do. Yes, yeah, it's well, in a bend. but um, So we go up through the that area. Um, so this is Otter yes. Lake, which is a poem that sort of relates that maybe. Um, do you want to say anything about it? Um, I would just say that um, I spend a few months in Wisconsin every summer on Otter Lake, Mm-hmm. Um, at my brother-in-law's, who is listening. Hello, brother-in-law. 
And um, this is just a little something that happened uh, last summer. I'll just say that I don't often write hopeful poetry, so this is probably as close as it gets. That's cool. Yeah, that's so something that we really, um, I, I keep thinking, especially, um, you know, as we look at more chat books to publish and, and things like that, like having more positive and hopeful things, it's hard to find and, and really appreciated when we have it. So glad we can well, hear this. Well, it's close. I don't know if it's, <laughs> if it's entirely there, but. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's an effort anyway. Let's hear it. Go ahead. Yes. Thank you. Utter Lake. A bench was bolted to a dock 20 feet from shore where I sat listening to the sounds a lake can make, slapping gently against the gangway, the downed log, the lily pads. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw it wobble in like the seeds of a dandelion on its last wish as it fell on an edge of the first lily pad it could get to, lifted its tiny hand wing as if it were the weight of lead, the claw of that wing hooked to a helipad of hope. If I had not seen it, I would not have known. Surprise is a brief emotion. I looked away, out toward the long, wide morning to a boat and a man. They circled an old stump in the middle of the lake, trolling. Distance dampened the grinding sound of the motor, its worn bearings, this worn bench, the bat. No one knows what to do with loneliness. A word was in my head, transition, a bat caught between birth and death, good luck, bad luck. Nothing is ever clear. How it had flown in low past the maple and oak, dive-bombed for a lily pad, fell as if it wanted to sit and think for once, without moving, but with fellowship. The bat kept its back to me, wings spread like knife cleats, a marionette, its corrugated body rigid on the disc-shaped leaf. The shoreline looked out at us, the lake listening, a brilliant silence to the day as if conscious, air so humid it had to be swallowed, Did the spider beneath the bench stop breathing, its backdrop of water so blue and smooth as if all we ever had to do was wait? I sat on the bench, the bat on the lily pad. Just then, a deluge of waves rolled in from a boat and a wind and an angler with only a rod and a cross. The lily pad floated in a patch of lily pads and the bat undulated with them and then jumped. No, no, I cried aloud. But it was too late. It was gripping with that tiny wing, the crest of a tender wave, pushing it to shore. Oh, very interesting memory. Thanks so much for sharing that. Very vividly told, um, Jackie. It's great from Otter Lake. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Yep. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Jackie McManus, and let's put Jackie um, in the phone book as well. So there's four, four additions to the phone book today. I always love that. And um, if I can get, uh, let's see if I can get Carl, or Carla Schwartz's poem in. Um, she sent a, a um, here we go. She sent an audio file. Hopefully that we can make this loud enough and it'll work. It's a short poem. The moment of, um, Carl, Carla Schwartz says, the moment in days surrounding my father's death is most certainly a poignant event for me of 2021. Um, I'm so sorry to hear your father passed away, Carla. I know we we talked about um, you know him being in hospice, so so I'm sorry to hear that. Um, sorry for your loss. This is death stepped in. Let's see if we can get this to work. Okay, so I'm just going to read death stepped in. Sorry, Carla. For some reason, it's not playing for me. 
Um, it's not even coming out of my headphones either, so I'm not sure. I'll have to figure it out later. But this is Death Stepped In. Death really did step into the room, a few times teasing and conjoling my father. Sometimes he only spoke Spanish. Death. My father spoke poorly, but he understood. The chairman, the chairman of the board, he's over there in that chair behind my right shoulder. He suggested we go downstairs, just stand up and step away from the bed. He makes it sound so easy, dying. But it's not if I have to lie here and run out of breath until my last cough, lie here and itch this papery cover for my skeleton called skin. It's a beautiful, touching poem, Carla. That was great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, He makes it sound so easy, dying. What a great line that is. Um, Sorry I couldn't get the audio to play. I think it's a problem with the file, actually. Because it's only 23 kilobytes, which is smaller than it should be. Um, Here's a short one from Vicky Miko. And... um, Vicky says, happy 2022, happy everything to all my rattle friends. This is just one of my favorite poems by my favorite poet, Shel Silverstein, from A Light in the Attic. So she's sharing this. Um, yeah, if anybody wants to hear other things besides their own poems, feel free to do that too. Put something in, a quick poem. This is Shel Silverstein. Put something in. Draw a crazy picture. Write a nutty poem. Sing a mumble-gumble song. Whistle through your comb. Do a loony-goony dance. Cross the kitchen floor. Put something silly in the world that ain't been there before. That's a great, uh, great advice from Shell and, uh, and Vicky. Thanks for sharing that, Vicky. And, okay, really quickly, because uh, time is about up. This is my Saiku for the week. This is uh, the article... Um, this is from the University of Reading. It's a little gross, <laughs> to be honest, but it was an interesting article. So um, this is the, the news story that caught my eye in the science world this week. Knits on ancient mummies shed light on South American ancestry. And so what these researchers at the University of Reading discovered was that you could actually extract human DNA from the skin fragments trapped inside the glue that um, head lice use to um, lay their eggs on human hair. So in the process of sort of gluing these eggs on human hair, they, they also trap the little bits of um, human skin that are on your hair. I guess that would be dandruff, maybe. And, um, and you can extract human DNA from that. And, so, and it's actually really good. Like one of the best sources of human DNA is from the insides, deep inside teeth uh, bone. You can extract from the, from the marrow there. Um, uh, but you have to like ruin the, the, the mummy or the corpse or whatever to do that. And so with this new technique, they can um, really non-invasively get DNA from um, ancient remains. So this is kind of fascinating. It's really good for the, the science research. Um, and they discovered some things already in this one project about how human migration worked. And um, the fact that these... From they, they found DNA this way from three different sites all over South America and found that both the humans and the lice had common ancestry DNA really recently, which means there's a lot of migration. They weren't isolated into one area in South, South America. So um, that is the interesting little piece of uh, science news this week. And here is my Saiku Scratching at our history, knit cap. Scratching at our history, knit cap that is my saiku for today and that is your show for today hope you enjoyed it i think it's been a great one um a lot of excellent poems really interesting discussion with amanda good poems to start off the show 
It's been a good episode all the way around. Thanks so much for joining me. Now, next week's prompt on the Rattlecast, and hopefully I'll actually write a poem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on it harder, I, I promise, um, is right here. Write a poem about a place you've always wanted to visit. Be as specific as you can, i.e. the Louvre, rather than just Paris, France. So write a poem about a place you've always wanted to visit. That is your prompt for next week. And next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be Grant Quackenbush. This is going to be interesting. Grant um, has a new book, which maybe is his only book. He was the author of that poem we published on Monday from the fall issue. That was the last poem I'll ever write, that double acidarian? How do you say that? Whatever it is, the double whatever, where where the uh, the poem runs through the alphabet. Um, Acidarian? Is that what it's called? That's, something's wrong with that word. Anyway, he wrote that poem, and, and you know, it's one of those poems where this is a topic that, I don't know, we don't talk about much, but the industry nature of poetry and the MFA programs and stuff, it touched on all that and how disaffected he was by the literary community, I guess, was the topic of this poem, which the book builds into, and he claims it's the last poem he's ever going to write, so I don't know if that's the case. Um, we'll talk about that and uh, talk about all the things surrounding that in his book off topic which is actually a really well written book of poems so I hope it's not his last but we'll see that is Rattlecast 126 with Grant Quackenbush January 9th um, Sunday as always 12pm Eastern Time 9am Pacific we'll see you then hope you have a great rest of your week I'll see you for the critique of the week and all that stuff Um, talk to you soon goodbye goodbye